Welcome to North London is Ours, the Arsenal and Spurs podcast brought to you by Andreas and me, Aaron. Enjoy. There was controversy aplenty as Arsenal suffered their first Premier League defeat of the season up at Newcastle in game week 11. With so many key talking points to dive into and debate, let's get straight into it. This is North London is Ours. Hello, Andreas. <laughs> <laughs> finally, finally. Five times we tried to start this. I just didn't get the message. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. One team Let's... remains unbeaten. One team only, mate. One team. It's unbelievable. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I was... Obviously, the predictions went up on socials this week. And uh, I was, I was optimistic that we could get a draw, but it wasn't to be. Um, so yeah, ready to dive into this one, mate. Let's do it. And look, let's. Uh, before I really, I'm not going to hammer you, but before I sort of go in and we get into it, I will just give you this. I'm West... not going to hammer you. Means I'm absolutely going to hammer you. <laughs> it's like a head and head and heart battle here right now. Yeah. Um, but I, I will give you this because I know it's going to come up. Okay. I appreciate. We don't play till Monday night, so we are technically still in game week 11. But you have crumbled first, so let's just put that out there. <laughs> um, but, mate, there's, there's so much to dive into. It's obviously a match full of controversy. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so much. I'm going to let you guide me on this one. Where do you want to start? Um, I, I think what's important is... Um, which isn't really being spoken about too much, I don't think, not what I've seen, because obviously so much else has gone on. But I do think the absentees in this game for Arsenal are hugely significant. Um, so I kind of like to start there, if that's OK. Talk to me. So um, we earlier this week, we we spoke, or previously we spoke about, or offline maybe, we spoke about spines of, of teams and part of Arsenal's spine that we shared on on our Instagram, um, NLDN is ours, had um, Odegaard and Jesus play as part of that. Now, our absentees at the moment, Thomas Partey on his day, um, which is quite often the case as his day, is one of the best deep-lying midfielders in the world and in the Premier League. Um, Urien Timber, still obviously whole season, abs- uh, long-term absentee for the whole season, was our best player in pre-season and was someone that everyone at the club was really excited about. Our captain, Martin Ogard, missing for the whole game, not on the bench. Um, really significant. It wasn't so long ago we were talking about him in the same breath as Kevin De Bruyne, Ballon d'Or nominee, Emil smith Rowe just coming back into, into, the, into the picture, doing really well, looking really sharp. Flying in training as well, absent, and then Gabriel Jesus, who's was outstanding in the Champions League and has been is miles miles better than Eddie Nketiah, and miles more consistent than Eddie Nketiah, um, missing again. And I just think having those players available for huge games like this one away at Newcastle, which is an incredibly tough gig, would be um, really important. Um, so yeah, I just think that that those absentees were really significant in this game, and, and will continue to be uh, through this next period for us. 
Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's important. So, you know, if you yeah. if, if it was a case that you're facing Chelsea on Monday and I said to you that, you know, two or three out of your spine were missing, you know, you'd you'd obviously point to that and be, you know, not making excuses but saying like this is an important part of the context and the narrative in this game and these games. So yeah. Okay. Um, it's, uh, not making excuses, but you know, you're getting your excuses in early, aren't you? <laughs> um, yeah. It's interesting actually that you make, because, okay, so I would, if, if, we're, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm hearing that list, you're going Odegaard, Jesus, Partey, Timber, Smith, Rowe. Yeah. Smith, Rowe and Partey are not starting. Timber's never had a kick, but Odegaard and Jesus, I'm going to put my hands up and say they're two key players. They're, they're really the key, key misses for you, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. um, Odegaard hasn't been in form recently and has been struggling a little bit. Um, I think he came on against West Ham for 20 minutes, which was quite a surprise. Um, And then was just absent for this whole game uh, and not on the bench. Mm. So, yeah, that was a bit of a a a shame. And he's, you know, more often than not, he's he's excellent for us. yeah, and sure. yeah, significant miss. But Jesus for me is just just such a massive uh, loss. And like, it was a, it wasn't so long ago last season where we didn't have him at the end of the season, and uh, along with Saliba and others, where you know the drop off to the backups in those instances from Saliba was Rob Holden, and then we went from Jesus to Enketia, and it's it's just such a significant drop off, and it has such an impact on us. Um, but I do take your point. You know, Timber hasn't played this season, and and um, Partey hasn't been playing. I just think if you look at a midfield and Partey in it alongside Odegaard, like that is that's an unbelievable trio in midfield. That is a um, rock solid two behind Odegaard. Those two would be rock solid. Yeah, there. and Partey's he offers us so. There's not many players in central midfield in world football that can do what he does. He's always looking to receive the ball on the half turn and play progressive passes into those front players. And Declan Rice doesn't do that. He's more of a a traveller with a ball and breaking up in his anticipation and so on and just covers ground. But yeah, I just, I'm a massive Partey fan and um, it's just such a shame again. Yeah, it's, it's um. We'll touch on squad depth, I think, shortly, yeah. and the impact or lack of impact from some sort of key players that have been brought in to sort of beef up mm. the squad. But it's interesting you mentioned that around the midfield and Parter not being there and Odegaard and Jesus in particular, because from what I saw and from what I heard, the game itself sounded like it was a very attritional game. Not much quality, a lot more. It felt like both teams were, were trying to be quite robust and resilient as opposed to being sort of expansive. Mm. So I just wonder whether those injuries to you, those key players for you, particularly Odegaard and Jesus, impacted maybe the way you approached the game? Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. The games between us in recent years have been quite feisty. Mm. And I, I do think Newcastle's approach is a very physical one. They want to leave a bit on in challenges and they really um, play off of that atmosphere uh, at St. James's Park and it's been I don't think they've lost there for like almost two years or something 
you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a hell of a fortress for them at the moment. And um, I, I don't know. I, I know the season with the all or nothing, we went there and got destroyed, basically, and just blew up and put in an awful performance. Then they put in last season, my favourite performance, going up there and winning 2-0. And that was dogged and um, a physical battle. And then again, this this there was a real um, spike and a real edge to the game at times. Um, yeah, and I just think, I think there's just characters in both teams that are, that uh, c- can make that. I, f- I think in particular, Newcastle have characters both in their coaching staff and also on the pitch that kind of um, revel in that kind of stuff. Mm. And um, I think that's, I think that's part of it. I don't think Arsenal, you know, you suggested that maybe they, adapt, uh, you know, ad- went for that approach. I think they just recognise that when you go away to Newcastle, when you're up against um, basketball players like Dan Byrne, <laughs> you have to, you're going to have to be physical, right? And um, unfortunately, some of our players were just, were, were not up for that challenge yesterday. Um, not many, but some of them, some of them weren't. So, yeah, that's kind of where I, I'm, I lie with that one. How did you see that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there was obviously a lot of spike to the game, right? Like, there's, yeah. there's a couple of, Let's talk about the two potential red cards, one for each team, right? So let's start with the Havertz tackle because I think that was the first one. Um, do, do you know what, Andy? Could I start before that? And this is a little bit of a rant. And I did mention Dan Byrne uh, because, only because it, I think it's chronological. At what Before we get into those two potential red cards for, we, we all know who, but... Dan Byrne, I think in the space of a minute, fouled Saka twice, very late, and got nothing. Mm. Nothing at all. Then he goes off injured, which I was delighted to see, and I hope he doesn't play ever again. <laughs> but it, it, this is what I've spoken about so uh, on a few occasions that I see so often, not just in games that involve Arsenal, but games that involve many other clubs that I watch and, and I'm watching a lot more football this year than I have done in in the past and uh, there's just so many players that just seem to get away with that like persistent fouling on your technical and your your, your match winners you know it's just like these little, little niggly ones that and, and they're not getting anything and I just watch that and I just think how on earth have you not booked Dan Burn in that first one you know he fouls Saka one within Within the next minute, he fouls him again. Referee's like, no, that's nothing. Just carry on. Saka, just keep getting kicked. It's not, you know, it, it's so frustrating to watch. Um, and then, yeah, following that, you you then have the challenges that you, you, you mentioned. So, Havertz was the first one, wasn't it? He was riled up, wasn't he? He went, he, he was... I mean, it's like before the tackle was made, as you saw him running, you just knew no matter what, he was going in for a tackle. Mm. And if we got a bit of the man or the ball, he wasn't interested. He was he was riled up and it seemed like a spiky atmosphere. The crowd were on top of him. Obviously, the yeah. game was quite edgy anyway. I mean, my take on it, honestly, I see it as like, if it was such a thing, it's like an orange card. It's like not quite a red, mm. but more than a yellow in a way. Yeah, I... Do you know I what I'm thinking of here is um, Eddie Nketiah's one against Vicario in the North London derby. I, I 
I think we, I think you said something similar about maybe there being an orange card, or maybe you were adamant there was a red. I, I can't recall, but I feel like Havertz in that one is he's off the floor, which makes me think, oh gosh, you could go here. That's that's stupid to do in this day and age. That's stupid to do because you know as soon as you're leaving the ground, the the referee could interpret that as, or even the linesman who's seen it and flag him wildly, they could then say, no, he left the ground, you know, and inform the referee. You're leaving yourself open there, aren't you, to at, at risk of of being sent off. I do think he's anticipating not being able to tackle and that the other player is going to kick the ball first and he's kind of like lunging to block that. And then his trailing leg is kind of like dangling at the side, obviously, but he pulls that back. So it's bent at the knee and it's almost like he's pulling out of the challenge. So when I saw that, I initially in fact i was watching it in in a pub and i got up and i was like oh man he's gonna go here and i was already annoyed by dan Byrne not <laughs> receiving a yellow and i just thought this is this is how it's going today like I, you know he's gonna get sent off and i just thought i watched it and i thought he could go but i do think it's a yellow do you know what i mean it, it's one of those so yeah the the orange card could be you know that this hypothetical orange card could be how it was, but I, I do think he's at the same point. I do think he's lucky as well. Yeah, it, it, it's naughty. There's no doubt about it. And he has lunged and he has come off the floor. And honestly, I'm amazed the ref didn't send him off, given how the players were so quick to get around him. The fans mm. were going absolutely nuts. And I'm amazed yeah. the ref didn't send him off. Yeah, and then that's what that's how I felt. I just you see that, don't you, on the in the ground if you're there or if you're watching it live or you know and or if you're watching it at home you you think oh and he could go here he could go here and it's that reaction and the hilarious thing is that they got three bookings from that i think we got one Havertz, obviously and then i think they had three players booked longstaff shah and someone else i can't think of the almiron maybe for all the pushing and shoving afterwards um yeah, they got three bookings. It was hilarious. I was watching it with Luke, and one one of our listeners, and he uh, and good friend of ours, and he was just you know he was like, "That's hilarious that he didn't get sent off," and all for that they've had three players booked. <laughs> so yeah, and that's you know that that's that's interesting because it wasn't so long ago that Arsenal players we were getting we were made. Um, an example of for failing to control our players. I think it was last season. I think it was last season. There was about, th- we got about three fights, two or three significant fines, you know, that were Arsenal been fi- fined, I don't know, £70,000 for failing to control their players. I hope Newcastle met with the same energy as well, you know, that because they did not control their players at all during that. There was pushing, shoving all over the place. And, that's what they're trying to eradicate from the game, isn't it? You know, the, this respect for the referee and and that not being the case. But whether that happens, I doubt it very much. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to read you a, a statement. Well, not a statement. This was part of the BBC's match report on the game that was yeah. obviously published after. Simply said, in description, when describing the game, this was about as far from the beautiful game as it gets, with spiteful exchanges and little in the way of quality shown from either side. Now, that's a very, very interesting and surprising sort of thing to, to, to write about the game because, mm. you know, 
I have my own obvious bias towards Spurs over Arsenal and can be critical, whatever. But I associate you as a, a ball-playing, fluid, mm. free-flowing, trying to play the, the game the right way sort of team. But there is certainly this season seems to be a little bit more edge in the way you're approaching games. Um, yeah. And I think maybe it's coming from the manager because that was somewhat evidenced by the way, by his frustration sort of bubbling over and perhaps understandably after the game. But he, he was seething. And yeah. he's, he's always sort of up and down on the touchline. From my point of view, I find him really annoying on the touchline. He doesn't sit still. <laughs> he's properly like the perimeter of his sort of area. He is covering every single sort of, you know, blade of grass in that section. Mm. Um, but it does seem to this does seem to be a slightly feistier, more robust Arsenal team this season. Yeah, I, I we we we're very we're playing games very very differently to the way we did last year. And obviously, we're a very different team. You know, we've got a different goalkeeper. Um, we we're playing um, uh, with a, a holding midfielder that is a typical holding midfielder, not a ball progressing. Um, like deep line playmaker almost like mm. um Thomas Partey um and yeah it, it is it is different and we're i think we're evolving and we're we're changing and we're definitely being more pragmatic in our approach but i do think another part of this is we're not a surprise to people now people know what Odegaard and um, is going to be on the right-hand side and it has a great relationship with Saka and Ben White likes to get forward and will overlap occasionally. We know Martinelli's going to get his head down and just try and, you know, rinse as many fullbacks as he, or defenders as he can. Like, we're much more... There's much more data on us. There's much more awareness of what our capabilities are as a team and the way we play. So I think it's a much bigger challenge now for Mikel to actually give people, uh, give opposition different challenges and different things to think about. And um, and I think he's trying to do that and he's been successful. You know, he's got his wins, uh, you know, against Everton for the first time in a long time away. And oh, that amazing win against Manchester City was, n- was not a flashy... Mm. Um, you know, footballing, you know, like aesthetically pleasing approach to playing football. It was, it was controlled and it was committed and it was very much um, do things right and very precise. And I think we, I think we're evolving, but I think that's, I think that's deliberate and uh, Mm. to some extent, but I think it's also what we're presented with as well, which has been a lot of deep line blocks and Newcastle would know, not much threat going forward at all. They had a really good chance with Callum Wilson early on. Um, but apart from that, they were just really, really well-drilled and well-organised and completely committed to not conceding. And they, as much as it annoyed me, they were excellent defensively. They, um, are, they are very good defensively. And, also, and they're, they're a nasty team. They're, in, they're, you know, they got, they're, they're nasty. They've got players, like niggly players, like... Um, like Dan Byrne and Kieran Trippier and, you know, they're, they're, even their centre-halves like Botman, who didn't play, but and Fabian Scher, they're quite, you know, they, um, yeah, they're quite, you know, into the gamesmanship and they'll leave a bit in and, you know, then they're, they're rough around the edges, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, they're like, um, 
they're, they're they're tough. That's that's they're a tough team to, and they're very big as well. Very big, very physical, very strong, and they they thrive off of that Geordie vibe, that Geordie buzz up there, and that's a it's a bloody tough place for anyone to go and get points, as their as their home record suggests. Yeah, I mean, obviously as a Spurs fan, I don't even want to recall the sort of the absolute drubbing we got there. I think we were like what five 0 down in like half an hour last season at up at their place. Mm. It is without a doubt one of the toughest places to go. I think yeah. it's interesting tactically with this game and we'll we'll come to the next incident with Bruno in a second, but yeah. Knowing that you had no Odegaard and match the day on the anal- on the analysis they called this out. They showed how quickly their attacking players were to track back on Saka and Martinelli and to double yeah. and triple up. So, like, knowing that you didn't have that creative play through the middle, they knew tactically they had to just completely do all they can to shut down your wingers. Yeah. They're key. And once that happened, it obviously transpired that you struggled to then sort of make any headway through the middle of the pitch. Yeah. And we're going to struggle with um, Eddie and Ketia playing through the middle because he's there's such a drop-off from him to to him from Gabriel Jesus in terms of hold-up in particular. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's quite strong for his size and he's quite quick for his... He's not, he's not a slouch by any stretch, but um, he's, just, he's just way behind the level of Gabriel Jesus. And in fact, before the game, I was hoping for a Havertz through the middle where I think he's been probably most effective for us um in his in his Arsenal career so far has been as a number you know like your number nine mm. um and yeah I was hoping for for that instead of instead of Enketia um and I can't think who I wanted in in midfield I can't think who it was but um yeah I can't think what my other solution was to Havertz playing and if Havertz went up top I can't, I can't recall what I wanted but yeah um, that weren't to be. Um, so yeah, it was. It, they they did do very well, very well defensively in those wide positions with their their wide men being dogged. Almiron and Anthony Gordon really backing up their fullbacks a lot, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, we did miss that creative spark in the middle, and maybe that would have come from someone like Emil Smith Rowe, who's been playing well mm. and getting more sharp, and and Odegaard maybe. You know, this could have been a game that he kind of bounces back. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they 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 got it. They got it spot on, and it, it hurts to say it, but they got it spot on defensively. Um, having said that, I do think it was. I do, one hundred percent think a zero a nil nil draw was the fair result. Look, okay, so we're going to come to that. So what <laughs> I think, look, all you've just said is evidenced by the fact you had one shot on target in the match. Um, and obviously no goals scored. So you you did definitely struggle going forwards. Before we come on to the biggest talking point of the match, which is which is definitely the goal. Yeah. Um I think we could probably both agree Bruno should have been sent off, right? Yeah, I, I would go as far as saying that he should have been sent off for the elbow on the back of Jorginho's head. But maybe if you know, if you take that out of the equation, he could have also got two yellow cards. He pushed Fabio Vieira in the face, off off the ball, and got a yellow card for that, I believe. Finally, and then there was another one where he just ran it into Jorginho and just shoved him to the ground. Mm. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know if that's ever been allowed in football, right? You can't just run around just pushing people to the ground, right? Like, 
honestly, I just I, I watched it and were just like, how have VAR they and they did look at that incident, which is remarkable, and they said it was a forearm, but forearm or elbow or fist, whatever part of his arm hits him off the ball, uh, you know, on the side of the face. It was like jawline, wasn't it? I think, or the back of the head. That's violent conduct. Like, there's no two ways about it. And I've added your, um, I've added Bruno Gamarish to this Brazilian list of players I dislike now. <laughs> so he joins the rest of the little rascals in Anthony, Rafinha, Richarlison. He's on there, Bruno. And do you know the other one? We are not going to talk about the West Ham game, but Lucas Pacatar is on that list as well now. Um, he was an absolute. he was a cunt against us I'm sorry to say I hate that word but he was he tried to do a uh, a rainbow flick in the corner over Fabio Vieira's head at the end he did four step overs in the middle of the park with no one near him and was just uh, honestly I messaged a few people and said if I was playing in this game I would have gone through him by now (laughs) Like he's just playing, yeah. he's just playing a beautiful game in the way that we love to see it played. Arsenal losing, getting absolutely embarrassed. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, all these people, I would have been like them as a player. I would have been doing that stuff. So I don't. It's the irony of me saying this is is actually <laughs> ridiculous. But yeah, Bruno. There's no two ways, right? You have to agree with that, Andy, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. It was. It was. I mean, the challenge in and of itself. He's left the elbow in. It's naughty, it's late, and having gone to VAR, like you say, I'm amazed he wasn't sent off. Amazed. Um, but there you go. I mean, that that for me was a stonewall red card. The Habits one. This is where I'll side with you. I can just about accept that a booking was the right outcome. Um, and yeah. I, I but but we both also agree that he could easily have been sent off, right? Like, definitely, yeah, yeah, he totally. You know, if, if that had happened, then that was the narrative. You and I would be going, Yeah, I can see why he sent him off, maybe, but it probably was a yellow. <laughs> you know, yeah. you could argue both, but yeah, okay. So, we've, we've been genu- genuinely quite agreeable on two of these incidences. Oh, gosh, now let's get to the goal and what a goal! First of all, what a finish from Anthony Gordon, world class. <laughs> What a joy to see that ball ripple in the back of the net. Uh, I mean, dude, when... what, what, what's who does he look like? That's Sue, not Sue Barker. Sue Barker, it's oh, not Sue I Barker. Know what you mean. yeah, the other lady, I can't think of her Claire, name. Claire Balding, that's it, yeah. Claire Balding <laughs> just packed it home from 0.4 <laughs> yards. Unbelievable. Oh, dear. I mean, he, he, I find him quite irritating as a player, anyway, apart from yesterday, but. One thing I'll say is, if ever you're going to concede a goal and there are three subjective decisions that all factor into this big goal being given, yeah. you know it's going to be packed with controversy. Um, it's unprecedented, I think. <laughs> it is. I mean, we're, okay, so let's take it one by one. So we've got the ball going out of play, allegedly. Now, now, do you know what? Can I take it a little bit further back than that? Um Gabrielle should deal with this when it comes through. But in before the cross is put out out of play, there's a challenge. Gabrielle, I think it's Callum Wilson. I'm not sure. He just messes up, and he that that that's where it kind of stems from for me. Mm. But yeah, go on. 
Sorry. So we've got, so we got the ball out of play allegedly. We've got an alleged foul, and we've got an alleged <laughs> offside. The the best thing to do here is to start with, I think, the one that's probably the least controversial, which is the offside, right? Because that's very, very difficult to prove that was offside or not. Is that a fair comment? A hundred percent. In in when I watched it and all the replays that went on forever and ever, um. I didn't actually clock onto that at all. I was just focused on two, and it was only after the game where I looked at other things and then watched match of the day, which was a pain to watch. Um, then I, I was even even now I'm a bit unsure on that, but you can yeah. You know, there's a lot of steals that I've seen and clips where you go, oh yeah, that could actually be offside as well. <laughs> um, yeah, but I do think out of the three, that probably is the least controversial, yes. Yeah, because the, <clears throat> the thing I always go with, I, I always go instinctually with the naked eye in the moment when I watched it, what did I think about all of them? Yeah. And the one that, for me, that I thought, oh, was I thought initially the ball's out of play. When I first saw it live, I thought, oh, that looked out. And I mm. said it. When the ball came in, I didn't. And I know, <laughs> I think that's where we're going to clash. I personally don't think that's a foul on the defender. I, mm-hmm. I think the ball, is the most likely issue with the goal is that the ball's out of play for me. But I'm interested in your take. Yeah, I immediately thought that went out of play. And the, there's a number of Arsenal players there that don't close him down because I think they recognise that it was out of, out of, out of play. Um and I think I think they, they I've only seen one image online, which is the I assume the only one they had because I don't I think the the narrative is that they didn't have a conclusive image to say yeah whole ball whole line over the whole of the line because that's the rule isn't it the whole of the ball mm. over the whole of the line, but the the image that I've seen I think it's almost like from the side of the pitch and facing towards the goal, it just looks very clearly. That you can see green between the ball and and the line, so I was just like, yeah, that's definitely out of play. And watching it in the pub, I was like, I said, that that went out of play. That went out of play. Don't worry, it's a foul as well, but it went out of play. And um, yeah, they they yeah that and as soon as they moved on to checking for a foul, I was like, oh my god, they they think that stayed in. And I just I was honestly. And my WhatsApps were coming in. It's like, oh, like people are like, oh my god, FFS. I was like, wow, is this really happening? And um, yeah, so agreed on that one. But your take on the the foul, not foul from Joe Linton? Yeah. So my it reminded me of another wonderful memory I have, where we beat you one 0 when we were playing at Wembley, and we and it was a Harry Kane header. And it was a crossing from Ben Davis on the left. And Kane got up early and he had his arms out in a very similar position to Joe Linton, where he mm. almost, because he was up early and the defender hadn't jumped yet, he'd used that the defender's body as sort of leverage to sort of hang and get the height. Mm. And I noticed with this one, it was quite similar, albeit his arms were maybe slightly more sort of extended where you could maybe argue for a push. But Joe yes. Linton gets up early and because of where his arms are, there's no way Gabriel can sort of get up and it looks mm. really bad. So the, the only option he's really got is to go to the ground. Um, yeah. In my view, 
Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, you don't want to see goals disallowed for sort of fractional, subjective decisions that, you know, you can argue it's good attacking play to, to have got up early. And Joe Linton is an absolute tank, by the way. Mm. And you're not, you know, any sort of touch on your back, you're going to feel it and you're going to go down. Mm. So, yeah, so, so for me, if there's any justification for the goal being disallowed, it's for the ball being out of play as opposed to being a foul. But you might see it differently. Yeah, I, the, like I said, for me, hundred percent ball out of ball out of play, um, and I, ju- I do genuinely believe it's hundred percent a foul as well. Um, I, I, I haven't said that. The only caveat I want to offer is that I think I, I have, I can see and appreciate the argument that um, what Gabriel may be attempting to do is head the ball off the back of his head and away from goal, mm. which is quite possible that he's ducking down to kind of knock the ball almost like up as a, and away from the goal. Um, however, we're talking about one of the best centre-backs in the league, who is a beast of a player, loves that side of the game, the physical, that's what he's all about, loves a tussle, playing in against Joe Linton and... Um, Callum Wilson, he's all over that. That is his game to a T, where Saliba doesn't really mess with any of that. He's cool, calm, collected, and he's a, a different centre-back, and they're a beautiful partnership, those two. So the fact that Gabriel goes down in the, the fashion that he did doesn't... He he has done that in the past. It's not. I wouldn't say it's unprecedented, but that's not usually what he does. Um, and I just think, like you said... The arms are out, and I just think it's a clear push in the back um, for him that makes him go down. I just don't think. I don't think there's. Yeah, I just don't see anything else there apart from a push in the back from from Joe Linton, really. So I think that should have been given as a foul. The only the only thing I think, the only way I'm gonna sort of be empathetic towards you is to say if the goal that you conceded yesterday happened to Spurs, I'd be fuming. Absolutely yeah. fuming. Because the mainly those two, it's the ball out of play in particular, which you're entitled to be wound up about enough. But then having that not been given to then have a sort of a, 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 at least a 50-50 mm. call for it being a foul, you'd be absolutely fuming. And that was evidenced, obviously, by the by the manager's yeah. post-match interview. Um but look, let's 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 also comment, and this is a point I'd like to make about Raya. I think was really poor on the cross. Yeah, yeah, that's the another thing I wanted to to say as well. He's just flapping around, He's struggling, and yeah, and it's very similar to the Mudrick kind of distance, isn't it? Yeah, because I remember I recall you mentioning that you know crossing and catching is one of his strong mm. points, but yeah. yeah. You can't, and I know I raised the point before about you can't sort of overlook the fact that he's not the tallest, and it just makes me think if he was just slight, even a couple of inches, makes a difference in these scenarios. Yeah, um, I think. I, think <laughs> I know it's easy when the it's easy, isn't it? When the the player that lots of Arsenal fans would want to see playing isn't playing, you kind of. You, he would be. He's always the best player available, isn't he? It's like bring Ramsdale back in, but um, yeah, I, d- I don't think that was great from him. He kind of, 
yeah, he wasn't really anywhere near it either, was he? He struggled. I mean, yeah. I, I just think personally, and I'm obviously not an Arsenal fan, but I think Ramsdale is incredibly unfortunate to be out of the side in terms mm. of he's not really done anything wrong to have lost this spot from what I can see. Um, yeah, and, I've I've I mean, been really patient with with Raya and I, I just you know because I just trust Mikel and them to make that the, the the correct decision. And when when both when when he came in, statistically he there was very little between them, but but Raya was ahead in in a few areas like the crosses, collection of crosses, and then long passes as well. And he does give us a bit. We do play out from the back better with Raya. I, I will say that, but it's. Yeah, that for me, based on the sample size I've seen now since Raya came in, I don't think there's an improvement there. Mm. Overall, in the whole the whole picture, I don't think there's an improvement from Rams Ramsdale. And they if that if he carries on playing, which I do think he will, I don't think I think Arsenal and Mikel they they have a really interesting decision to make at the end of the season whether to sign him. Well, there's there's that, but also, surely then, if you're Ramsdale, you might be, you know, and I think we saw it was one game where he sort of clapped a good save, you know, Ray made, and mm. you know, there seems to be this understanding and of you know we're a team and you know one player can only play in that position, but it does feel like Arteta has unnecessarily sort of destabilized an, an area that was quite stable. Yeah, especially if, like you say, statistically they're so similar. Mm. Why not sort of wait until the appropriate time, as and when Ramsdale has a dip in form, and you think, all right, let's give this guy a go. But like you say, this is not a goalie you've signed on a permanent yet. Mm. Um, so I just wonder whether that's maybe created a little bit more of a, an issue than it needed to be. Yeah, yeah, I think right now I would agree with that, and I, I do think the signing of Raya was not planned because we, I think that was opportunistic. It came up. And they thought, oh, we've got to do this. This is someone that we really like. And we've looked at the numbers. He's slightly better. Let, let's do it. And if we can get it in on a loan, test him out, see if it is really what we want to do. I think they've been tried. I think they've been ruthless. And it's been, I don't think there'll be hardly any Arsenal fans out there that will be going, would, if, you know, if they were given the choice, they would choose Raya over Ramsdale because he's so loved by the, the, the Arsenal fans, which is, crazy like his um redemption arc from when he came in there was players thinking god this man just gets relegated with every club he plays for <laughs> Bournemouth uh, for example and then um now where you know that everyone wants him back in and didn't want him out in the first place it's yeah it's such an interesting one isn't it such I, an interesting one you know the irony was that we were going for rare all 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 off season and we couldn't yeah. agree the fee and we ended up going for vicaria who we as i've said we're, we're delighted with he's been brilliant but yeah just it's just a general point around your squad signings right so i say squad <laughs> signings your your signings this summer so have yeah. rare and Jorginho, all three brought in to give you better depth mm-hmm. however there does seem to be a common thread that when you struggle, and recently in the games that I've seen, Chelsea away, draw, poor performance, which I think you know you would admit. Yeah. West Ham away in the League Cup. Um, I know you. Awful. Were, yeah, it was not your best performance, far from it. Mm. 
and then Newcastle. And the one I was trying to look at, like, what are the common themes? And for me, Jorginho has started in all three of those games. Mm. Um, I know he started in others too that you've won, but <clears throat> it does seem to be that in the Premier League against these. You know, these are all tough away games, but in your defence, right? West Ham away, Newcastle away, Chelsea away are probably three of the toughest games you can mm. probably have away from home. But um, it does seem like your squad players are maybe have not had the desired effect that you were hoping for. Yeah, I, I can't disagree. The, the The West Ham game was, there was a lot of changes in that game and I just didn't, I wasn't sure he would make quite so many changes. And um and I looked at that team and I thought, actually, that team is more than good enough to beat West Ham. And I, I stand by that now, having watched the game. But so many of them let themselves down first and foremost. And the manager, he's given them opportunity, uh, an opportunity. Lots of them have had minutes before as well, like Fabio Vieira, for example. And um, they, you know, they, they, they really, really let themselves down. And that was, that was a really bad performance. Um, from a, this isn't you know this isn't ten years ago. Arsenal putting out reserve players and youngsters and giving them a go. This is our squad. These are mm. players that um, are fighting, compet- competing for starting positions in the Premier League and have a lot of Premier League minutes. You know that team had Aaron Ramsdale, it had Zinchenko, it had Ben White, Emil Smith Rowe. Like these are not you know this isn't youngsters coming through being given a chance. And uh, yeah, I think I, I think I think what you're saying is right that that you know, the squad players haven't quite given enough in the last the, the last few games. You know, I would argue before that you were getting a lot of impact from like Trossard, for example, was mm. was, been, was having great impact off the bench um, and competing well. I think players like Reese Nelson have done have done fairly well, um, but the new ones. Um, Havertz, I think, in fact, I kind of liked this this performance from Havertz in this game. I, it was really great to see him have a bit of aggression and a bit of um, niggle about him because he seems quite passive in games, you know, this kind of, this Ozil-esque kind of like relaxed, um, slow mode kind of thing. And I just want a bit of urgency and he really showed that in this game. And I kind of like this performance from him. Um okay. Whoa. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think Mikel will be definitely demanding more from those players for sure. Well, that's a good segue into the point I was just about to make, which is post-match comments from Arteta, which yeah. I can understand his frustration, although I'm not a fan of how he approached the interview, and then the mm. subsequent statement from the club. Yeah, um, I'm. This is where this is where I'm at. I'm incredibly confused at what the club are trying to achieve with that statement. Um, yeah, and what Liverpool? Okay, Liverpool perhaps more justifiably <laughs> against us put out a statement, mm-hmm. effectively what criticizing and questioning the integrity of the officiating in the league. Yeah. Now it seems to me like you as a club have seen that and have gone down a similar route where the statement, having read it, and it was a very short statement, was something to the effect of. We commend our players' efforts, etc. We tried so hard, blah blah blah. But ultimately, the standard of officiating is just not up to scratch. Yeah, so I've got the I've got the statement here. PGMOL urgently needs to address the standard of officiating and focus on action, which moves us all on from retrospective analysis, attempted explanations, and apologies. 
So, yeah, it's an interesting point about the Liverpool and the fact that they, you know, there was talk of, can we get that? You know, I know it was not serious, but like the match replayed and stuff like that. Um, but I kind of like the fact that they are not putting up with what they think is, is um, what's the word? Um, just like unacceptable performance from referees. You know, some of these the decisions in that game, the Liverpool Spurs one, were absurd. You know, this is the same. These are the same referees that um, last season against Brentford just missed blatant offsides, you know, that, you know, because they forgot to draw the lines. Like, this is incompetence at that, the, the best level of football in this country. And we need better. And I think I, I, I'm of the opinion that I, I like the fact that if if their manager or the manager of a football club feels very strongly that there was a ridiculous couple of decisions, Bruno not being sent off and then two, maybe even three incorrect decisions to award a goal. And it's costing you two, you know, two points, uh, sorry, costing you a point. Then yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for it. And I, I think people should be held accountable because, you know, that referees, they, they make these mistakes, they make these errors and then they, they just go off home and, you know, they're banned. They, they might be put down into the championship for a couple of weeks. Then they come back and nothing else is ever said. You know, if I put in awful performances in my work, I would be held accountable and I would be questioned and, you know, <laughs> at all different levels. And it's like, why why are they any different do you know where where i have sympathy is and i think what arteta's alluding to and what and what the club is alluding to is these footballers and to create a sort of high class elite performance culture which requires daily training time away from families you know trying to be at peak performance in every aspect of your life from diet to fitness to absolutely everything Mm. to give all of that and then to go on the pitch and then for decisions to be made which are just baffling and I think with, where, where I disagree with you is the Liverpool issue of Spurs was cut and dry it was an error and it was, mm. a fa- it was factually incorrect unfortunately for you guys and fortunately for everyone else yesterday it was three subjective decisions yeah. um, well Subjective because they don't they don't have the cameras in place to verify the, whether the ball was out. Right. Yeah, but I also don't understand why because that technology. If you've got goal line technology, why don't you just have something that runs across the perimeter of the pitch that is available? It should it should be available. That should be something that's there. Yeah. But the, the, yeah, I suppose that's where the frustration from the club seems to be coming from is that we're giving our best and trying to attain the highest of standards in everything mm. we do day to day. And they feel that when it comes to refereeing, those same standards are not being attained. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't, I think Mikel was trying to say that, but hasn't said it as eloquently as you have. Why? Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and it was an incredible, I, I was quite gobsmacked to see, that 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 press conference for him he he is steely and um doesn't he basically just he doesn't answer press conference questions if he doesn't want to and he yeah he's he's quite the 
yeah, he's not he's not rude. I, like for want of a better phrase, he's quite um he's quite a challenge, isn't he? For um for the media after games quite often, but goodness me, he was he was raging, wasn't he? He was raging, and raging. I think what it's so fascinating now with our and brings you know Ange into this a little bit when you mm. compare the two managers. Where I feel a little bit for managers, even like a Ten Hag and an Arteta. They're foreign. English is not their first language. Culturally, they're different. They're maybe not as um, confident and sort of personal. Their personalities don't come across with the English language. Whereas with Postacoglu, like historically, Aussies and Brits have always sort of got on and sort of with that sort of banter culture you see in cricket yeah. and rugby. So he's kind of just the, the, the media have taken to his personality straight away. Whereas with Arteta, he seems to have a bit more of a he kind of goes into his shell, or he just he, sh- he he keeps his comments short and sharp. Yeah, and it feels like he just doesn't want to talk to the media. Mm. And maybe I'm being too polite. Maybe he's genuinely just really pissed off, and maybe he needs to make more of an effort to engage the media. Yeah, but it seems like they they quite enjoy trying to provoke him as well. Yeah, and it, uh, he, I don't think he has trust in the media. I I think he. I th- do you remember we spoke a few episodes back about um I, I think I shared like a, a paraphrase the a quote from him about them building you up building you up and then they want to kill you mm, and we spoke about the, that Spurs hype train I think it was that episode wasn't it um but yeah Postacoglu has a better grasp of the English language for sure <laughs> and at the moment has it well it, it do you know what it was actually yesterday it started to annoy me because i was watching a bit of sky sports news and there was like this 15 minute feature with posta coglu and the sky sports news presenter and it was like i don't know she was like doting on him it was just like they love him right mm-hmm. he but is so popular right now like he is played a the blinder though He's played the blinder so far. It's a crest of a wave, like this Spurs wave of like positive that and positive Akoglu. <laughs> it is that they and now I'm at a point like maybe it's after Arsenal lost. No, in fact, I saw that before Arsenal lost anyway. So um, I was like, this is kind of getting on my nerves, and I actually turned it off. Whereas <laughs> usually I watch it because I I like to be as informed about Spurs and Arsenal for the pod as as I can be. But I was like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Like, I need to, you know, he's like, ah, you know, mate, I'm, uh, you know, I just try to be a good guy to everyone. And, uh, everyone's sucking me off right now. It's great. <laughs> it's like, I was like, right, I've had enough off. Let me put CBBs back on and get my kids in here. Mate, so, I'm, 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 not, I'm not having that. You're not talking about Big Ange like that, mate. He's, he's... <laughs> He's brought happiness to my life. Even Big Ange is getting on my nose now. Why is he big? He's he's wide, wide Ange. <laughs> wide Ange. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, no, it's just fascinating. And look, I think Arteta, look, for, for Arsenal and for Arteta's longer term sort of way of dealing with the media, it does feel like something that needs to be worked at. Mm. Um, and look, at the end of the day, he's he's young. Arteta as a manager, Postacoglu's what, in his 60s, so he's got a lot more experience, obviously, dealing with the media. Absolutely, you're spot on, Andy. Um, which I think which I think is important, right? You know, if you look back at our yes. own lives, how many mistakes have we made? Um, or, like, cocky things we've said back in the day, well, you in particular, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you grow up, you learn, and you're cocky Absolutely. again, but not quite as much. 
Yeah, it's it's right. You're you're spot on, and that that is it comes with that experience. He's managing international level with Australia. If I'm not, am I correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also at Celtic, which is a huge club in that area of the world, historic club, and you know he's much. You know Arteta. This is people do forget. This is his first ever management role, and he is very young and uh, is fresh. Not not that long out of the game himself. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good point that you raise. Yeah, and I'm just yeah. going to undo all those positive comments you've just made by just saying he's still an irritating little slime. <laughs> um, <laughs> I no, I do get that. I do get how. If it was on the other side, I would find that annoying. Like I find Klopp banging on the chest and his jaw swinging out to the side, and <laughs> that's a bit annoying. Yeah. But I do still kind of I I have a huge respect for them as well at the same time. But um, oh, do, yeah. you know, do you know what I have the most respect for with any manager is it must be one of the most all-consuming jobs in any field. Like you must be mm. constantly thinking, who am I playing? Who's fit? Who have we got to sign? Yeah. It must be completely all encompassing. So anyone that takes on a management role of, of any club, let alone a top club, you just know has to be dealing with a hell of a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. So fair yeah. enough, you know, they're gonna have their moments where they where they crack publicly, you know. Yeah, I think so. And that's an interesting point and then I segue into the the, the next bit of our pub where we're gonna talk about your your upcoming fixture because um in that an interview that I listened to part of earlier yesterday, um, Ange Postacoglu was basically saying that when he's not in, when he's out of a job, is he's you know almost you know breaking his back to get into another job because it's just what he wants, where he wants to be. So I think some people, him by his own admission, just want and f- want to thrive in that situation and that challenge. Which is you have to be very, you know, t- tip your hat off to that, right? Yeah, do you know what I, what I love about it is, well, first of all, football's a drug, right? We we mm. know where where we all love it, but they, they and Arteta as well. They strike me as people that are constantly striving to get the best of themselves and and those around them, and they're really trying to build high performance cultures, and that's a, that's a lifestyle. That's not something that you can sort of adopt once or twice and then put to the side that's a that's a part of your identity yeah so they obviously just feel when they aren't in those sort of environments that they may be not fulfilling their full potential which you know fair enough and obviously um Ange Postacoglu has the potential to take his team five points ahead of Arsenal tomorrow night he does <laughs> in a very very big game and look obviously a lot of the emphasis on this podcast rightly given that you've had the the match against Newcastle has to be focused on that but you know it's a huge game for so many reasons A Chelsea are in decent form at the moment Mm. B we're flying and we've got a chance to go back to the top of the league because obviously City are are now above us and and C it's Pochettino coming back to to Spurs for the first time so it's going to be and I think it's going to be a cracking game yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to watching. I'm desperately hoping that you lose, obviously, <laughs> but because um, yeah, it's it's an exciting one. The Pochettino factor is massive, isn't it? But I was thinking about this earlier. Are there many players from the Pochettino era left that will have that kind of desire to want to beat the get one over on their old manager, or Ooh. is it something that 
I know you've obviously got Dyer and, and Davies who played under him, I believe. But um, do you think that will be part of Postacoglu's thinking or the players' thinking? No, I don't. I think, yeah, you're right. Davis, Dyer, Lloris, who's obviously not really even in squads these days. Maybe a couple of others, but there's not much of that sort of Pochettino um, yeah, squad left. Mm. I think I think for us, or Son, obviously, um, yeah. I think for us, if anything, it's going to create an amazing atmosphere. I think the fans are going to back... Um, Ange and the, and the boys to the hill. I'm fascinated to see what reception Pochettino gets. Um, Is this his first return? His first return, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we've got the, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard the We're Loving Big Ange Instead song. Oh, that does, yeah, I remember you does. sending me the, the Robbie Williams one and being absolutely buzzing, weren't you? Oh, I'm still buzzing. <laughs> there is a little dig at Pochettino in that. So There is, yeah. I'm interested to see what reception he gets, but I think from a player's point of view and tying it back to just high-performance cultures, I think the guys know we've got a chance to cement our spot back at the top of the league. Liverpool mm. drawing at Luton today, which, you know, Villa losing away at um, at Forest. Mm. United are in poor form. You know, we've got a chance to put some daylight, really, between, you know, yourselves, Liverpool, and really the rest of the sort of chasing pack. And I know we're so early in the season, but mm. it's a great opportunity to to really sort of put ourselves right up there. Um, yeah. So that, for me, has to be the motivation above all else. Yeah. And it's part of a uh, quite a tough run of fixtures for you, isn't it? With, with, I think, City on the horizon as well. I think you also, if I'm right, you play Newcastle as well, soonish. Yeah, well, in, within the next six or seven games, we do face Villa, Newcastle, City. I think it's funny. Our, our fixtures have been crazy in terms of the scheduling because we've been the first fixture, the last fixture, the first, the last, mm. or the last this week. And then our next game is actually the first fixture of the weekend away at Wolves and the early kickoff on Saturday next week. Right. Um, which yeah. is interesting. I'm more, weirdly, I'm more confident tomorrow night than I am going to Wolves. Weirdly. Oh, really? Wow. Um, Chelsea then, are um, obliterated though, with injuries, aren't they? I think they've got their main guys back. No, I think well they've got a lot actually. No, to be fair, they have got a lot. But I think Mudrick is fit, and I think Reese James will probably start for them. Mm. Um, but they've got a lot of long-term absentees, like yeah. Kuku, who's a top striker who's been out with an ACL, I think, from yeah, yeah, from the yeah. off. But um, yeah, it's it's a big game. I, it's, yeah. I predicted two-one to Spurs, but really, it's one of those that could go either way. And I, I think it's going to be a very, very free-flowing, easy on the eye game which should make yeah. a, a good watch for all. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that one. Um, it's interesting to... And, and Chelsea are really intriguing at the moment because they were in a... They'd won... I think they'd won a couple before they played us and they weren't great against us. They were quite good defensively, but not no threat going forward. But then I, I once they played us, I thought, yeah, they definitely turned a corner. Like This, this, is, this is a much better uh, results and performances from them. And then they lost to... Brentford two nil, mm. and it's like, oh, maybe not. So this uh, this this fixture is is an interesting one against Spurs. Um, yeah, I, I've gone for a draw. Um, yeah, and I'm going to stick with that. Well, if they look, the thing with Chelsea is they look good and they play some good football. They seem to be slightly toothless in the final third at the moment. Yeah. I think you called that out when they played yourselves. Yeah, and no threat really. 
and they're slightly shaky at the back. So through the middle, they look really good and they play some good sort of direct attacking football, but it seems to be they're not quite tight at either end of the pitch when it matters. And that's where I'm backing us. I just think we might, we just seem to be a bit more fluid than them as an all-round sort of well-oiled machine, which is crazy to say at 11 games in, you know, as mm. I said before, the new manager. Um, but, you know, the one thing I've not spoken about, and I know you've mentioned some of the Arsenal injuries in the past, but we've also had some pretty significant injuries, long-term injuries to players like Perisic and Solomon in particular, who have both been out sort of long-term. Um, and again, just talking about squads, guys like Perisic, their assists tally, their crosses into the box, their corners, we were like the top scorers from set pieces last year, almost yeah. exclusively due to his crosses. So I just think, you know, we've also had a few injuries that have definitely impacted the, the depth of the squad. Mm. Um, but now is, yeah, now is a good generally speaking we're in decent health and I think we just as I keep saying and as you mentioned earlier we need to ride this way for as long as we can because yeah there's a <laughs> it's a long old season and the yeah. points you can get in the bank early could be key come the end who knows yeah yeah definitely and and no it, it, like you've made the point of no lead being un, unretrievable you know mm. by by City in particular um yeah, so I can see where you're coming from with that train of thought. City just, I mean, no one's really spoken about them. Everyone's speaking about us and yourselves and others, and they just plod along, accumulating yeah. all these points. Mm. And, you know, they're top of the league now, having, it feels like, not really done anything and having De Bruyne out for all that time as well. And they're just, yeah. they're just a joke. Yeah, yeah, it's so frustrating, isn't it? I just really hope, like I've said in previous pods, those 115 charges come along and just destroy them. I really yes. do. I somehow think they might um, get away they with see, it. There doesn't seem to be much VAR controversy around Newcastle and Man City games, does there? Interesting, that, isn't it? I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but I could be. Well, that was, do you know, I nearly said it earlier when we were talking about the Arsenal statement, mm. but... Liverpool definitely implied it with their statement that they questioned the integrity. Mm. And this is a big jump, and it is definitely sort of <laughs> jumping into conspiracy theory. But there is the question around, do you think it's it's a possibility that other clubs are questioning corruption in the, in the league or bias around decision-making? Or yeah. there being sort of some clubs receiving favourable treatment to others? I mean, it's a huge leap to, to say that and would destroy the integrity of the entire league and sport. But yeah, yeah, it's interesting though. I do, you know, you think back to like Ferg, Ferguson, you know, when he started tapping that watch, the, you'd almost like as the, you'd think, oh, the referee won't blow until he bloody says that it's okay to blow. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Or until they've got the winner or the equaliser, it's that, that kind of thing. And, and with they, they, some, they have power. I think back to, um, the NBA, which I've followed quite closely in the last few years, and um, they used to a podcast I used to listen to um, used to say that s the superstars would get all the calls. Mm. So you know, like LeBron James, if he goes in and is fouled in the paint trying to lay up or dunk, like he often gets the calls. But then these like young rookies who go up and receive similar challenges just don't get the calls because of oh, that's LeBron James. If he says that's a foul, it's a foul. You know, you don't let your superstar not be the superstar. And, you know, there could be, 
there could be some uh, some mileage to that in terms of these the big clubs in the Premier League getting getting their own. I think I actually saw a clip of Neil Warnock earlier this week when he was quite a bit younger ranting at a lino. You know, he's got some great audio clips, Neil Warnock, of his time at Sheffield United and places like that. What um, basically, I can't think who he was having a go at. It was I can't think who the other manager was. It was like, oh, that's it. It's a big club. Give them all the calls, that kind of thing. And it's, yeah, I think it happens. I do think it happens. Do you know the biggest thing I think about when you mention things like the LeBron example is mm. if you think about a referee compared to an athlete on the pitch now, a LeBron James is like a superstar global celebrity. Yeah. He's a physical specimen and one of the greatest athletes sort of ever to play. Yeah, basketball or indeed any other sport and then you think about what his personality and his character would be like and the confidence he f- he's filled with to become an athlete versus somebody that becomes a top referee personality wise is probably mm. more likely to be a bit more by the book follow <laughs> yeah. instruction maybe yeah. quite a timid character I don't know I might might be really unfair to sort of generalise mm. um, but then you put those two sort of next to each other on, on a field of play and then suddenly you can see why one might wilt in the presence of one of those sort of superstars. Yeah, yeah. There's um there's a great clip of Michael Jordan actually when the ref gives a call against him and there's an audio, it's brilliant. The referee's like the Michael Jordan basically says to him, are, are, like, Are you sure? And he's like he was like, It's not a foul, it's not a foul and he or, or something like that. And then the ref's like, That's what I saw, Michael, but I believe you. I believe you <laughs> and then and he's and Michael's like kind of like laughing, and it's that, isn't it? It's that aura and that presence. You're talking about one of the, you know, the goats. You know, this is some people's goats. And if it's Fergie on the side, or you're looking at, I don't know, Erling Haaland, and and if he's saying he's fouled me, you, as a referee, if you are timid, like or or not as quite um, strong-willed and uh, as confident as maybe an elite sportsman would be or could be, then you might. Will under that pressure and go, oh, actually, it's, it's, it's Haaland here. There must be a penalty. It must be a goal. It must be a foul against him. You know, it's like, it's like human nature, isn't it? If you're put in yeah, a yeah. situation. And do you know what? My last point I'll make, and speaking of goats, right? And I have to give him a nod, even though he's not in this league anymore. But Harry Kane, what he's doing in the Bundesliga, yeah, the fastest player ever to 15 goals in 10 games, having already scored what? A, two or three hat-tricks, one from his own half, a goal from his own half. Yeah, it's, I mean, sometimes I think, where would we be if we had if we had Harry at the moment, but um, he's crushing it. Yeah, and we did say this, didn't we? We were both very much agreed that he's going to go there and he's going to bang goals in like the likes of Lewandowski did in the past and and, and other strikers in that league. So it's it's absolutely no surprise to me whatsoever that he's doing that. No, and do you know my, my last point and I said that was my last point, but I've got one more. <laughs> um, I've noticed, if you look across Germany, Spain and England, and obviously discount the fact that City are currently top because they played a game more, but Girona are top of La Liga, Bayer Leverkusen are top of the Bundesliga, and yeah. Spurs, up until yesterday, are top of the Premier League, which I just thought what was really... Going on? Yeah, it's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? There's a few sort of underdog stories taking place, so it's yeah. interesting to see who can hold their nerve over the long haul. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's an interesting point. So, um, yeah. on to our Chelsea game, and yeah. one team that hasn't held their nerve this weekend is Arsenal. Sorry, mate, I had to get that in there. 
Um, yeah. Just got to take it. I've just got to take yeah. it. I'm, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of chances over the course of a long season, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I can't see you doing 38 unbeaten. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say I can't see you doing 38. But it's a big call, that. Big call, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Okay. Who knows? Big Ann just said, uh, "Why put a why put a barrier to the to the dreams of fans?" So let's let's. Uh, you know what I mean, mate. Don't put barriers up. You don't want to do that. <laughs> Love <laughs> Big Ange, mate. Nah. Love him. He's a great guy. Yeah, man. And yeah. Uh, next week we'll have a pod where we, both of our teams have actually played, and we'll look forward to sort of diving into the the trials and tribulations of another weekend of the Barclays Premier League. Yeah. Bring it on. Pleasure. All the best, man. Take it easy, Bainer. Bye-bye.